0: Hi, I'm Steven. And I'm Jake. Welcome to Tales from the SaaS Graveyard, where we talk to employees at tech companies that are in the middle of the bell curve, not going out of business, but definitely not hitting the big time. The SaaS Graveyard is a purgatory populated by companies that have made it to annual revenues in the 30 to 50 million range, but can't get to the next level, which is pretty impressive outside of Silicon Valley, but frowned upon here.
1: We interview folks in various roles about their experience working at companies like this. We're looking to see what common themes emerge across industries and roles. Today, we will spend time with our friend Chris, who is the first employee at RecruitForce, a candidate screening tool for small businesses.
0: This is a little different than our normal shows, as Chris joined two co-founders to make a three-person company. He'll walk us through his year they spent primarily as a developer at the self-funded startup as they tried to find their product market fit. Jake, we both worked at companies with under 10 people. How would you compare the experience of working at a small company to that of a large company? So
1: I've, I've done it a couple of times, and I really like knowing everything about the business, sort of in a, in a 10 person company, in, at least in my experience, there were sort of no secrets. Any problem affected all of us or any su- success was a, something that we, all of us could celebrate together. So it really felt like you were, you were a key to the business and you really knew what was going on. Um, things I didn't like is it felt very easy to uh, change the, the focus of the company, whether a very important customer or an investor. Uh, said something, it seemed like you would then scramble to, to something else. And so it was very hard to have long-term focus uh, when you're such a, such a small company and things can change uh, very quickly. How about you?
0: Yeah, well, I definitely agree. Being at a startup is never boring. And I think that was the really thing that I enjoyed working at a company with under 10 people was every day you knew you are providing value to the business, whether it was you need to reply to a customer email, whether you need to refine the roadmap, pretty much you had to do everything. So you knew by default you're providing value to the business compared to where that a large company, you know, you could be working on a project for months and then it just gets shelved at the end of the day. And you kind of scratch your head and wonder, why did I even bother in the first place with that? Uh, I think the only, you know, one of the big cons of working at a small company is, you know, you got to work much longer hours because, you know, the business is dependent to keep its lights on uh, based on your efforts and what you're making happen. So there's definitely times where it's like, I'm on calls at midnight, you know, missing an improv show I might have wanted to go to. Um, Not that that was a big deal all the time, but it can always be a little bit of a bummer when you don't really feel like you have a little bit more clear lines between work and life uh, at a small company.
1: Right. Well, let's hear what Chris has to say about his uh, time spent working at a single digit person company. So Chris, thanks for joining us today.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Great. So um, before we dive into your, your role at Recruit Force, uh, can you give us a little background of what you were doing beforehand?
2: Sure. Uh, so I had graduated from college about four years before that. Um, and I'd spent all of my career, I guess, not counting internships, but my full time career was all at Microsoft. Um, I'd worked at a couple of different teams, uh, one up in Seattle and then one um, down in California. And uh, yeah, that's where I was um, before I went to Recruit Force.
1: What made you decide to to leave Microsoft and look for something different?
2: Um, I had kind of always wanted to try entrepreneurship. Um, I I took some business classes in college to make sure that I could do that, um, get the get the background. Um, I've always liked you know creating things, kind of starting them from scratch, being involved in the ground up stages. Um, but I guess straight out of college, I had this this you know thought that I should build my skills somewhere, you know get. Get some some good experience before I went straight into the world of trying to make new things, um, but I'd always kind of had it in the back of of my head. Um, and Recruit Force was kind of in the right place at the right time. You know, I was um, I'd been at Microsoft, I said about four years, and I was um, kind of thinking it was about time for a change. I also had just signed um, a lease on a new apartment, um, and this is kind of one of those San Francisco things. My my new lease was a fifth of the price of my old lease. Wow. Um, yeah, I found one of those sweetheart deals of like a friend of a friend who had a rent-controlled apartment, and um, but it was it would have like added to my already pretty extensive commute because Microsoft was down in in the valley and I was living in San Francisco, um, and it would have made it I think almost two hours you know each way, and so I was like you know this is a good time and and they just happened to be kind of I guess at the right at the right time in my life, you know, when I was really looking to, to go to a startup, they, they happened to be the, the good option on the table.
1: So how did, how did you first hear about them?
2: Um, it was, so it was started by um, a, a colleague of mine when I was working um, up in Seattle at Microsoft. And so, um, and he knew they were looking for somebody who had, um, I guess when you're a small company like that, you need somebody with sort of a, a variety of skills. You know, he was looking for somebody that knew like the UX side of things and the business side of things and the technical side of things. And so he'd uh, been kind of pinging me saying, you know, like, Hey, you know, we're looking for somebody who has interest, you know, in a variety of areas and can kind of do, um, you know, hold a variety of positions, I guess, you know, even though I, I technically had, uh, you know, one position, which was developer, but really, you know, I did work on the UX. I did, you know, help them with some product stuff. And so they, you know, they were looking for somebody with that sort of diverse um, interest and skill set.
1: And so this, this co-founder that you've worked with previously, what were your impressions of, impressions of him before uh, going to recruit for us? Like, were you happy that he had reached out to you?
2: Yeah, uh, he was definitely somebody I had really good, you know, camaraderie with. And I thought he generally, um, he'd actually come from some larger teams uh, and was, the team that I was working on was like his, uh, oh, I need, a, I need to be less stressed and I'll find a an easier team to work on. So I, I'd known his, like, his background was in, um, you know, some pretty impressive, large product spaces. And so I was like, you know, this is um, a good dude with some good knowledge and, and was hoping to, you know, I guess, uh, you know, learn some some things from him as well.
1: And now the, when you joined the company, was was very small. So was there really much of an interviewing process or was it just more that this guy reached out to you and and then you eventually said yes?
2: Yeah, not, no, no interview process at all, actually, really, um, I guess, because we'd, you know, we'd already worked together and he, you know, was, was the founder and I was, you know, employee number one, I, there were two co-founders. So he basically, you know, talked to his co-founder and I guess there was, I wouldn't necessarily call it an interview in the sense of like, he, did, I didn't get like the normal interview questions, but there was like a conversation of like talking to his co-founder about my background and my interests and learning about a little more about the company. Um, but otherwise, I guess, you know, our, our experience together, you know, spoke well enough for itself and um I guess the other thing too is there wasn't much financial risk for them because I was almost exclusively paid in, in, uh, equity. Um, and so there wasn't, it wasn't like they were, you know, shelling out, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on a, on a risk on me. So.
1: Right. So like if after a few weeks, it wasn't or a few months, they could just cut, cut their ties to you essentially.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: And were you at the, before you agreed to accept, were you looking at anywhere else or was it the only one that you were to, only at company you were talking to?
2: I think I, I looked a couple other places um, that were, I guess, actually larger, still startups, but larger, you know, the 100, 150 size companies. Um, but I, I liked this one because I, like I said, I did want to build something from the ground up um, it had somebody I knew and I trusted that I'd work together. I knew we could work together well. Um, and I thought it would, you know, give me some insight into, I, I also had this a plan to do my own startup one day. And I figured... You know, if I if I was along for the journey of another startup, it would give me a lot of the um, insights. Uh, you know, that I would hopefully be able to use on my my own startup later.
1: You know, you mentioned that the you were paid primarily in equity. Um, did that concern you at all, or was that that really exciting? The thought that like, oh, I might be able to become really rich from this uh, experience.
2: Uh, I think it was more of the latter, mostly. And I, I I had I didn't have that many expenses other than I guess rent. Um, when I was at Microsoft, you know, but I was pretty good at saving. So I wasn't in a position where like financially I had any, I didn't have any financial obligations. You know, I paid off my student debt by that point. And so I wasn't that concerned about not having a steady cash flow. And I was definitely like young in the Valley, starstruck, like, wow, equity, I could be the next Mark Zuckerberg or the next, you know, like Facebook employee number three, who's, you know, now retired and a, you know, multimillionaire. I think, with older, more jaded eyes, I would probably be, uh, not even for dollar value reasons, but for like company setup and expectation reasons, a little more skeptical of a company that doesn't have like a cash flow stream, especially in the valley, because it's like at the, and I at the time, especially you know 2014, it's like cash was flowing like water, and I probably should have been more concerned about the fact that they, not that they. I didn't need the money, but I should have been more concerned about the fact that they weren't like setting themselves up to have investor cash flow.
1: Right. So that you, um, they were completely self-funded at that point, correct?
2: Yes. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. It was, we, we had all saved up during our times at the big companies and, um, we were all basically living off our, our savings, trying to make something cool happen, which is in some ways the dream, uh, you know, but I feel like that company startup of, uh, you know, the idea of like friends starting in a garage off of selling their, you know, Volkswagen is more the like vintage Silicon Valley feel. You know, it's not, nowadays it's like the, the I don't, you don't hear that story as often anymore. You know, it's the new story is like, you know, we got some friends, but then people gave us several million dollars.
1: <laughs> right. And did, was there idea like, oh, we're going to try and eventually get to that point of getting someone to give us several million dollars? Or was that even not even that that far thought out
2: they actually were more focused on trying to get a like revenue positive business model um, so we talked about some different varieties of like ways to get users to pay um, i would say there, there's i guess kind of two sides to that one's good and like there's a the good side of that is i think silicon valley often will only fund things if they think they're going to be a unicorn Because it's like, if you're going to take a risk on a company, you know, take a risk on one that could really be big. And I'm not sure small business recruiting ever fit that profile. On the other hand, I think that focus on trying to find a revenue positive business model kept us from doing the like rapid growth and like, you know, you know, pedal to the metal kind of mentality that a lot of startups do that would have been, I think, beneficial to, you know, trying to break out of the... The SAS graveyard.
1: Is there one piece of information you wish you had before you started? Or one thing you wish you asked during that, you know, very informal interview process?
2: I think I yeah, I would have liked to have asked about how the company would be set up and what my role in it would be a little more. I guess I had naturally assumed because I was employee number three that I would be very hands-on in the product direction and very hands-on in the company direction. And um, I would say that that didn't really turn out to be true. In a lot of cases it was like, it felt like I was kind of the third wheel, like the two founders were the ones setting the direction and I was sort of, you know, just expected to go with it. And it was very different to, you know, I had a friend with the startup who I would actually hang out with at least like once a month I would go over and they would always do like startup dinners and I would hang out with the people who were there and it felt their startup felt a lot more like a family and everyone was very involved in what was happening and very hands-on, and it was. I was expecting that sort of feel, and it. I guess I didn't know enough at the time to ask um, or to try and and figure that out. Um, I just sort of naturally assumed that was how startups operated, and and this one didn't feel that way. I'm I'm kind of uh, you know bum bum to say.
0: In this new role, was it, were you working remotely, or did you actually have an office space that you were going and meeting uh, with the two other founders?
2: Uh, we were remote. We were all remote, which was. One of the perks that was one of the things that I really liked about the job was that, uh, you know, I didn't have the commute anymore. Like I said, that was Mm -hmm. a big downside to being at Microsoft. Um, it allowed me to live in San Francisco and like, um, I had a pretty flexible schedule, which was fun. Um, but there are definitely like downsides to not seeing each other. And the other two were in Seattle. And so they were, and they could like meet in person over coffee to review designs and things like that. And it was more difficult for me to join them. Um, I think in the pandemic, like one of the things that works better about remote working is that like everyone's doing it. And it's harder when you're the only person who's remote and the other two are, you know, I guess they were working from home, but they were close enough that they could meet, which I guess made them semi-remote. So that was maybe not, not an ideal setup either. So then what did your first
0: month look like at the company?
2: It's a little strange. Like day one is a little odd. When you're at a company small enough they don't have like an hr staff right or a or an onboarding program of any sort and so it was kind of just like hey sign on to when it slack didn't exist then i don't think or at least we didn't have it um it was like sign on to i'm trying to even remember i think it was skype we used It's like sign on to skype and like join this group chat and like hey now we're here and then they gave me i guess pretty quickly off some kind of i would say not very high level, like a like just pretty uh, grunt worky coding tasks to start off with. Um, doing some like UI refactoring, and I spent I guess the first few months working a lot on scraping tools. So they were starting to try and pull in uh, for the people that did have like LinkedIn pages, or maybe like if we could find their Facebook profile. So I started writing some tools um, that would help with that, which was um interesting and this is also when i was at microsoft i was a pm and so jumping into like writing scraping tools was definitely a big transition um Mm -hmm. and then i also wrote a couple of like browser plugins um that would help people um what did those even do it was like it would help it would link out to like people's profiles so it would help like you find those people if they were on their either social sites or their linkedin and so, yeah, it was interesting. I wouldn't say my first couple of months felt like I was doing things that were core to the product. It felt like I was doing things that were maybe farther down the checklist that they were like, well, you know, we can at least, you know, let him cut his teeth on these before we have him contributing to the the big code base.
0: Oh, God. So you were working on all the kind of special projects area, not even necessarily to the core business.
2: yeah. What? Yeah. That's, that's what it felt like, which was for somebody who, you know, was expecting maybe a startup with a leadership role and like, we could all be in exciting discussions of product and market fit. And, you know, it was definitely uh, maybe not the, the first beginning that I expected. Got it. And did you bring
0: this up at all
2: with the, with the founders? So I I think I was the first couple of months I was too nice. You know Uh, I was, I wanted to make a good impression, you know, that I was going to be a a good part of the startup. Um, Eventually I did like, I'd say maybe a couple months in, I started asking about like, you know, Hey, like, when are we going to do like UX reviews or like, are we going to do product meetings? Like, are we going to, and I got maybe a lukewarm reception to that. They were like, Oh yeah. Like they weren't really excited to have me in that. They were like, I guess we could do some of that sometimes. Um, And it, which I guess is that's where one of the one of the signs one of the road road posts along the way of like oh this is not uh, you know exactly the the thing that I envisioned it would be. Mm-hmm.
0: Was there like new hires coming on as well, or was it just the three of you?
2: Yeah, they would. So over the course of my year, they would occasionally bring people in. Um, so it would sort of fluctuate um, with like a couple other people. Um, I was the only one who was like full time, but they would bring in like a UX guy for a couple of months. Um, they brought in another coder for a, f- a number of months as well. Um, and a lot of times I think they were, it was like they were people who maybe were doing this as like a side project after work and not as mm-hmm. a, as a full-time job. Um, and those people, I mean, they were all, I have mostly positive memories of everyone that, um, you know, was involved. We were always happy to have the, have the to have the help and, and make more progress on, on our, um, objectives i did um i don't know that this is a <laughs> this didn't answer my uh goal of wanting to be a product person but it did uh it did at least i did at least get more traction in working on in the, the larger code base the main product after a couple of months which was nice um because you get to like you know i get to actually do things that were a little more central to the the company mission and our, our goals um mm-hmm. although the the other the code so it was like Of the two co-founders, there was one that did a lot more code and one that did like a lot more sales and product. And the one who like did the code was sometimes kind of protective and was like very particular about coding. And I was, I guess he got in the mindset of like, code should be done in a very particular way. Whereas I, I felt like startup code should be scrappy and, uh, you know, wasn't, it wasn't as important. I didn't feel it was important to have like a style guide or a, or a you know, technical direction in a a startup Mm -hmm. as it was, you know, in a a bigger company.
0: I'm curious. So I know you mentioned it was remote and it was kind of, you had a flexible work schedule, but were there, what was it like waking up till when you signed off for the night? What what were those interactions like? Was there a lot of interaction or was it just Chris coding alone?
2: A little more of the latter than I would like, I think. Uh, Maybe that's, I think of the lessons we could learn, certainly one of them would be like, creating a company feel in a distributed company is difficult, but extremely important. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. It would usually be like, I would log on and like say hello just so like, and we would, you know, do maybe like five minutes of small talk. So that like people would know who was online. Um, and there wasn't like usually a set schedule. We didn't even have that many meetings either. It would mostly be like, Oh, I would say hello and I would let them know what I was working on. We didn't do like an official stand-up, but I guess, we kind of did like an ad hoc where <laughs> you know i would just kind of message what i was working on and then i would work on it for a while um you know take take a break for lunch or whatever and and um i guess maybe like once or twice a week i'd bother them for like code reviews but it wasn't you know it's certainly a stark contrast to like my buddy's startup where it was like they have dinner together every night and like you know they have one per- like they rotate who cooks and like you know they always they were like everyone was excited about what they were doing and would talk about it a lot. And, you know, it was like even not working for that company and just going over there to hang out with people. Like I could get the vibe of like what was Mm -hmm. going on. And I would like get a little excited about their product. And I think that was missing. And, you know, I not to say that remote stuff can't be done, but I think you have to be very aware and intentional especially with a, a small company at how you, you know, create the, the vibe.
1: Were you aware at all of how the business was doing in terms of like gaining customers or were you, was that completely hidden from you?
2: So we, we did actually talk about that. It's interesting. We probably talked more about that than product design. Um, Cause we would talk about like if features were being used, you know, as on the technical side, I, I, I did um, a lot of data pulls too. So in addition to like the code, I would, you know, we would, use Splunk or, or whatever manual searching um, to pull some of the data and figure out if our features were being used and, you know, uh, do some of the, we would actually like our, our customer base was small enough that like some of them we knew, like we could actually message and just say like, Hey, you know, we made this new feature. Can you try it out and email us back what you think? And they would actually do it, which was pretty cool. Um, and, but I guess it's like, I, financially I knew we were never like we never hit a level while I was there that we would have been like long-term sustainable in terms of like paying our own salaries. Um, but we did talk a lot about, you know, we tried probably six or seven different business models while I was there of like, and this is like also, I guess, atypical for a startup, right? It's like we spent that whole first year, like kind of trying business models as as opposed to like trying just to get users. Um, and yeah, but we would we would, try probably six or seven different business models of like a monthly fee or, you know, do you like uh, pay for, you know, number of um, clients you're managing or number of job postings or, you know, we tried a bunch of different, you know, methods. We even tried like we tried supplier side too, where it was like, or I should say applicant side where it was like, you know, if we find you a job, you know, pay us this like, you know, a set fee. Um and you know, we tried a bunch of different things. Um I wouldn't say we found one that's thick. I guess it's good to it's good to try things and try to figure out um, you know, what, what works, but I I feel like there's a, a critical mass part that was missing of like we were trying to focus on how to get people to pay for something, and it's hard sometimes to make something useful enough to pay for without a big enough audience, if that makes sense. Um It's like Facebook couldn't have charged for ads when they only had a thousand users, right? It's like, who's going to pay for ads that only reach, you know, 15 people? And so it's kind of like, until we had a critical mass of people that were on the platform, I I don't know that any revenue strategy would have really worked.
0: Yeah, no, that definitely seems like a bit of a, maybe putting the cart before the horse a little bit of, let's worry about our business and We don't even know we have something worth buying in any
2: regard. Right exactly exactly yeah and we were trying to judge whether our product was valuable by whether people would pay for it which i think is a model that can that works it, i mean it works if you get a yes it works but if you get a no it's not a reliable no you know if if your question is will people pay for it and the answer is no that doesn't always mean your product is bad or your idea is bad sometimes it means you know you're not far enough along your road yet i think sometimes about how in college everyone thought google buying youtube was stupid they were like their bandwidth bills are enormous you know everything's free like this is gonna end up being a real boondoggle and now it's like an enormous money maker and it's like oh they just weren't it wasn't their product was bad they just weren't far enough along their path yet that it was like you know a money maker
0: what's the thing you're most proud of that you worked on there
2: the thing that i and this is (laughs) this is going to sound silly because from a product perspective, it was maybe not that impressive, but from a technical perspective, it was cool. Um, We did like an analysis engine um, that would help flag resumes that were the most interesting. Um, So we, we like wrote a little engine that would like try to parse resumes. And so it could say like, if somebody had a, like, for example, a, you know, 10 years of experience between different restaurants working as a server, we would try to like, pull that out of the resume and flag, you know, flag if that, that person had had, you know, a bunch of service experience. And so they were a good candidate to talk to in the beginning. And that was uh, technically complicated and kind of a had some cool smarts to it. Um, mm-hmm. So from like a geeky perspective, I would say that's probably my proudest achievement. Um, even though from like a product perspective, it didn't really, <laughs> it didn't make that much of impact. I think people were actually using the CRM tools more just to flag who they'd interviewed, um, you know, and they the you know our tools would let them like oh, talk to who you talk to, you know, how many times you talked to them, like what part of the interview process you were in, you know, how how many you know what they're and you could take little notes that said like oh I asked them about their time at you know TGI Fridays and they said they hated it or whatever, um, and so I think people use those tools the manual tools more. In fact, I know they did because we did you know like I said I did the data polls. Um, But it was still cool to work on the automation, uh, you know, stuff. And and I think, you know, if we'd been a a larger size company, you know, people might have uh, people and we had a a wider user base, people might have, uh, you know, used that even more.
0: And I guess what's your most memorable day when you were there, either good or bad?
2: Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, I think my most memorable day was the was the probably my last day, which is i guess on the bad side but i like i definitely remember you know the day that we we you know we'd been going back and forth with some of these business models and there was like a day where we just finished a trial of one of them and one of the founders just like messaged me and was like hey and that was a phone call it was he was he was decent enough to do a phone call and he's just like hey i don't Really know what direction we're gonna go in, but we're not really happy with where things have been going with the CRM side of things. So we're gonna like take a couple of weeks and try to think about where we want to pivot to. And there was like this this awkward long pause, and then I was like, "Okay, so what do you need me to do in the meantime?" And there was like another kind of awkward pause, and he's like, "Well, I don't think we have anything for you right now, and I'm sorry, but you know, he's like, I'm." I'm sorry that that's kind of boring, but you know, I do think maybe we'll come up with something interesting. So I guess just hold tight for a couple of weeks. And that was like a very awkward conversation. I was like, okay, so I guess I'll just, cause he, I mean, I, I guess kudos to him that he at least didn't give me busy work that, you know, he, he was upfront with me to say, you know, we don't really know where we're going. So don't waste your time spinning your wheels on something we, we want to do. Um, so that was definitely memorable as the sense of like, it's, it was awkward and that sticks in your mind uh but also um that was kind of maybe the the moment where i was like you know this is not uh heading in a direction that we feel confident about um at the end of those two weeks like he came back and told me about the pivot so they were pivoting to do try to help with diversity and recruiting which in 2014 was actually pretty far ahead of its time and i i don't think i anticipated um You know that here in 2020 we would have as much of a push for it as we do um but it was like that's such a drastic product change you know to go from Mm -hmm. all these and they basically took all the crm tools that we've been working on for a while and it was like oh no we're not gonna you know we're not gonna use any of these and i was frankly pretty bummed about that because people like the crm tools you know i'd worked on those and i thought we were solving real user problems and i and we were solving real user problems but they weren't making us enough revenue to keep going with it and so that was i guess depressing in and in a, like mildly depressing i was it wasn't like i didn't launch into like a life you know depressive moment but it was mm-hmm. it was a sad ending <laughs> you know this was a video game that would be the sad ending not the happy ending and <laughs> yeah so that was I, and that was when i took my leave of the project you know basically said my like Hey, thank you. Uh, you know, it's it's been a good journey. I, we ended on a high note. I still talk to the guy. Um, you know, we're still on positive terms. Um, but uh, yeah, that was just where we decided to to part ways. And they they kept working on it for two or three years after I left. And I guess grew it to ten or fifteen employees and got an aqua hire, which like. An Aqua Hire is definitely better than closing down, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not the success that anyone, you know, hopes for in, in the, in the space. It's uh, solidly in SAS graveyard territory, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I guess one other memorable day is like the day that they told me the to pivot. And then I was like, and then the next day when I kind of told them that I thought about the pivot and was not going to stay around for it. And my boss was like asking me about, you know, like, what do you think you'll do? And I told him like some of my startup, like, personal startup ideas and he was like you know actually those ideas sound really cool if I were you like I wouldn't blame you if you decided to go for one of those instead of ours like heck like those are good and I was like "Uh, cool I mean it (laughs) made me feel good about my ideas uh you know but uh, it was uh yeah it was all memorable I guess the end is always memorable you know
1: prior to them saying that you know we're going to do a pause on what we've been doing and we're going to rethink the business had you been thinking of leaving on your own terms before before that
2: there i mean i like i said i still had the opportunity to go with them after the pivot too so uh it was i guess i had been stagnating a little bit you know i could i could at that point we were up to you know trial number 6 or whatever of the business models and it was like I kind of felt like there wasn't a lot of direction. So I guess the, the short answer is yes. Uh, you know, I, Yes, I had thought about leaving because I felt like there wasn't a lot of direction. And obviously there was this misalignment with like, I wanted to be involved. Like, I, in fact, it's also, you know, in retrospect, immensely frustrating. Like their response was, we're going to think about the pivot and get back to you instead of, hey, can you like help us think through this pivot? And like, that's what I, that's right. the role I really wanted to be in. Um, and so when you combine like this stagnation of the company with like my own personal, like wanting to be in a more exciting role, it was definitely, you know, a, a, a time where I was not, not super happy with how things had gone and, and didn't feel like there was a bright future ahead. And, and yeah, had, had been, had been thinking about, you know, is this something I want to stick with or, or move on from.
1: If they had said instead, like, hey, fly up to Seattle for next week, and, like, let's all sit down in a, you know, in a room together and and come up with, like, what we want to do the next three months? You might have been more interested in in that pivot if you had been part of it.
2: Oh, yeah, I think so, for sure. If if it had been, like, something we all came up with together and I, like, you know, knew the rationale for it and felt like it had a bright future and, and that I'd had a say in it, yeah i would have been a lot more interested in hanging around for that for sure
1: did, did did they ever fly you up to all be in the same room or was it always just virtual
2: um a couple of times yeah um actually i would i we combined it with like i i still have friends in seattle so i probably go up there like once a year and so like a couple of times i was just like oh you know like this would be a good week to like we can all come up you know like we'll do a couple, two or three days of work in the office. And then like, I'll, you know, hang out for a weekend with my friends and then, you know, head back down. So I did, you know, we did have some in-person planning sessions. It was, you know, good to, good to see people in person. Um, but, you know, it, it didn't really, I guess, cross the gap of, you know, feeling like I was that, that third wheel.
1: Guys, that so even in person, you never felt like, Oh, I'm part of this. I'm part of this decision-making process
2: not not so, not as much. I mean it was better. It was it was better to be there and uh be talking to to them and you know and when you have a whole day in person eventually like there's we didn't have like enough code to fill up a like a we didn't have enough technical discussions to fill up a whole day. So inevitably like it would turn to product or you know business direction. But it didn't it was never like in a place where it was like it felt like I was intentionally i wasn't up there for that purpose i guess you know they weren't like come up here so we can talk about product it was like come up here so we can like you know have a an in-person time and we'll work on some code and then product happened to be a thing that came up if that makes sense so yeah yeah Um, i wish it had been more felt more more involved for sure
1: right so when when you did you know in fact decide to leave you know you mentioned earlier that you've been paid uh, considerably in equity, did you decide to keep your equity, or and were there were there options that you had to exercise, or how did that work?
2: So unfortunately, it was because they were pivoting so much. Uh, it was like, well, the stuff that you worked on is basically folding, and we're kind of starting a new thing. And so they, and I i guess i'm still a little sore about that that they effectively folded the company that i was working for so the equity wasn't worth anything and then started a new company Um, but
1: just still the same two guys right
2: same two guys different different title they renamed it like i said so that was the thing was like i don't know if they took any of the code that i worked on so like in a sense it was like that was like i was frustrated that i wasn't getting any money out of it but at the same time i was like I don't know that we actually contributed anything to their new project. You know, like I, they really did kind of do a hard reset and it's like, well, the, mainly the thing they got out of the company that I worked for was the like knowledge of how the recruiting industry worked and how company hiring practices worked. The technical side of it, I don't think they really got much out of. Right. So it was, I, I mean, I don't, I guess I'm being more open with you guys about that than I have, you know, I don't, most people have, have not asked about that, but it was, not not a not a not that was probably my least favorite part of the company honestly it's like the the realization that i put a a whole year of work into a product that was basically that was folding and i wouldn't get anything out of it is like even more so than the frustrating experiences at the company is like ah crushing you know
1: right yeah and i don't know what you could really do in that situation if that's you know if you have any recourse or what are your options really at that point
2: Yeah, exactly. I think if one of the things, you know, so you learn a lot of things in life and like one of the things that I learned out of this experience is definitely like even in small scrappy situations, like make sure that you more intentionally like set things up. And, you know, it's like, nobody wants to talk about the future of like what happens if this turns into like a real graveyard scenario where it's like folded, but Mm -hmm you have to have those hard conversations. You can't just ignore them. Otherwise it makes things even more unpleasant, you know? Um, And I think if I were like, if I were to do an opportunity like this again, I would like definitely have both more explicit, um, more explicit like in writing, what would happen if the company pivoted or what would happen if the company closed. Um, And also, like I said, I would probably, I don't think I would go for a company unless it was my own. I don't think I would go for a company just on equity because I, it's, and again, not for monetary reasons. Uh, you know, like I didn't end, you know, in poverty, um, but I, it's, it's just not, I don't think it's a healthy company dynamic to not have cash flow, even if the cash flow is not from customers and profit. Like you, having some engine is like, it just promotes activity and progress and a, I think a healthier mindset than. Um, you know just like oh well the the attitude like that we described at the beginning of like oh well you know if it doesn't work out we'll just like part ways is a very risk averse attitude um which is and it, and it does mean that like you don't have a lot to lose but it, i don't know that like leaning that hard on like risk aversion is good sorry i know uh, a little in the weeds here but does that, does that no, make-
1: I i agree with you i think if there's no money no one takes it seriously enough like you have to Like, if they had to pay you a little bit more money, it's like, well, do we really need this third person here? Because we are giving some of our money to him. It makes them take uh, everything a little bit more seriously. And uh, they'd probably, you know, treat you as such.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think there's an element, too, to, like, how much time we spent trying different ways to get people to pay is, like, that was kind of, (laughs) that was because of their, like, our and maybe this is, I guess, another takeaway, too, is, like, focus we were focusing on the wrong things like right, we were trying to focus on like how do we get a business positive revenue model and that was like not the right focus and we spent if i think if we'd had you know like you said a, a monetary incentive to to take things seriously we would have spent less time trying to focus on how to get these little small wins and how to get people to pay us ten dollars a month and we would have focused more on like how do we turn this into a business that has like you know real traction and a big customer base because Ten dollars a month—you have to get a lot of people at ten dollars a month to pay the bills for software developers, you know. Which is, yeah. So it's it's a tough road to climb.
1: Now, so you you mentioned at the start that you you wanted a startup experience. Have you since since leaving? Have you done another startup? And did this experience help out?
2: Yeah, um, I did another startup with a couple of friends um, after that. Um, different lessons from that one, but I do think that this the my experience at, at uh recruit for definitely helped um in terms of like appreciating industry connections and you know focusing on product development more so than like business model those sorts of lessons you know definitely helped out i i yeah i learned a lot that i applied to that and i learned a lot that i will apply to like any you know future startup i'm at a big company right now you know but hopefully in the future sometime i will Uh, you know do a a smaller I want to do a smaller company again in my career for sure Um, or or even a you know a tiny startup like that and um, I think knowing some of the warning signs and gotchas and uh, that kind of thing is immensely helpful you know it helps you I think the most helpful thing is always to pick the right opportunity you know looking at it it's like you can try to change the company that you're in, or you can try to, you know, influence things. But the easiest thing to do is to like pick the right opportunity from the beginning, um, rather than trying to, you know, shift what is maybe a, a stagnated company into a, uh, a, a, you know, positive direction.
1: Definitely. And so our, our, always our closing question, if you had a time machine can go back to early 2014, and yeah, you know, this co-founder is asking you to join. Would you still take the offer, knowing knowing what you know now, having had that experience? Uh,
2: I wouldn't take it on the same terms. I would definitely negotiate to either be to be like a another co-founder um, with like more explicit involvement in the company direction, um, and try to make it like a a trio of co-founders. Or I I would have been out. I think. There are companies where being employee number one is very lucrative and exciting um, and this was not one of them, and I think like knowing that in retrospect, it's like either I would have had to have been in a role where I could turn this into a more lucrative company or you know at least be more involved and get more out of it, or um you know it's it's not worth uh that company was not you know structured to be a huge growth company. That's where it's, you know, being employee one's going to turn into like a, you know, a, a really exciting, you know, high power position. So yeah, that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. It, under different terms, maybe if we, you know, if I'd been a co-founder, but not, not as employee number one, not for that opportunity for sure.
1: Great. Well, thank you for sharing all of your experiences with us and uh, for joining us today.
2: Oh no, my my pleasure. And, I hope, uh, someone listening gets, gets some value out of it and, and can avoid, uh, avoid getting stuck in the, in the, uh, SAS graveyard. So I think, I guess that's also one thing is like, too, is if you can recognize these warning signs, you can like, at least you have the opportunity to jump sooner. You know, you don't have to wait a whole year to recognize and go like, Hey, this is not working out, you know? And, and, uh, hopefully some of those warning signs help people recognize if they're stuck in. Stuck in stagnation land and, and get to somewhere more exciting.
0: Another great episode. You know, I think the interesting thing from Chris's experience, you could definitely hear they he felt like, you know, he wasted a little bit of a year uh, working at Recruit Force. And I think it really comes down to how you define wasted at the end of the day. You know, if you're talking about uh, opportunity costs as far as financially, potentially, you know, Chris was being paid purely in equity that ended up not being worth anything at the end of the day. And if he worked at a larger company, he definitely would have been able to, you know, get some more money in, put some more money in his 401k and stuff, but he might not have learned as much at the end of the day. So, you know, it might've been a waste from a financial standpoint, but you know, he might've gotten a lot more learnings at Recruit Force.
1: I think he also had the sense of, of the wasted year, a little bit because they, you know, they 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 basically threw out all the code that he'd worked on. They they can they you know, been the company started new from scratch, and so you know I think some of his feeling of like oh this was a waste is because uh, nothing that he did that sort of lived on. Um, but you know in my experience that that always happens anyways that everything that we're working on will eventually get shut down. Uh, I once worked at a division of a of a larger company for years. Uh, and then shortly after I left, that division was shut down. And it made me really think that, you know, all those meetings um, that I was so concerned about, all those presentations that, you know, kept me up at night, uh, it was really all for naught that, you know, eventually that, that business goes away and eventually all these businesses are going to go away. And, um, you know, so I think you really have to focus more on the experience of you know, what you're learning, of the interactions you're having uh, and not, not think so much of like, am I going to be at this company that's going to. Uh, live on forever, because cause none of them will. Um, you know, a- another frustration that uh, that Chris talked about was that you know he really he joined thinking that he's going to be essentially like a third co-founder, that he was going to have a lot of impact in uh, decisions uh, of how the company was going to go, and, but it really sounded like the la- the founders just almost wanted like this. Um, a lackey, for lack of a better word, but someone who would just you know do the work that they needed done, do the grunt work. That they were the ones who were who were thinking about you know the direction of the business, but they just needed a, kind of another set of hands, and that's what they how they viewed Chris. And I think that that disconnect is something that I've seen quite a bit in my work experience, where someone is hired for one reason uh, that you know the the people who are doing the hiring think of him as doing you know X Y Z. Uh, but in their own minds, they're going to be doing ABC. And I've seen this especially true, I think, at the executive level where, you know, they'll hire a new head of marketing or head of product. And they come in with all their ideas of what they've done at previous companies. Uh, but actually, the the CEO, they, they have this complete other expectation that that may have worked for you in the past, but I kind of need a different thing. And that, that disconnect usually ends with someone leaving uh, with a broken heart in under a year.
0: Yeah, it usually does end in broken hearts. You know, fortunately for them, you know, at the executive level, they understand the life of corporate business and kind of how things can play out. Unfortunately for Chris, though, you know, he even had this disconnect, even though he already knew one of the co-founders uh, from his previous work experience and maybe even consider that person a friend. And, you know, I think that really does play into the whole awkwardness of, you know, when you're recruiting for a role at your company of. You know recruiting friend versus recruiting a stranger at the end of the day you know when you're recruiting a stranger you're definitely painting that that picture that picture with the rose colored glasses on about how great everything at the company is and how that person can grow their career and what a great time they're going to have but when you're recruiting a friend it's very much a little bit of the opposite you're painting all the bad stuff because you don't want this person joining and then blaming you for joining a company that wasn't actually going anywhere or had all these problems that you didn't tell them about and you know, it doesn't sound like even though Chris was friends with this this person, that he got the full, honest feedback of where his role was going to be and the reality of what his day to day life was going to be uh, at Recruit Force. And with that, you know, thanks for listening to episode twelve. Uh, we're excited to bring you episode thirteen shortly. Thanks for listening.